Greetings in the Lord Jesus. Glad for the opportunity to speak to y'all again. Maybe take your hymn and turn back to that last song, 352. Rise up, O men of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Verse 3, rise up, O men of God, the church for you doth wait. Her strength unequal to her task. Rise up and make her great. Lift high the cross of Christ. Tread where his feet have trod. As brothers of the Son of Man, rise up, O men of God. So what does that look like? And uh, yeah, I'm speaking mostly to ministers, preachers, and deacons this morning. I know that, and uh, I'm speaking mostly to you. That's true. It's for all of us what I have to say, but uh, I was just, as we sang that song, what does it look like for men of God to rise up and make the church great? title of this morning is Blessed are the Poor in Spirit. And we all know where that title comes from. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. We often call the Sermon on the Mount the Constitution of the Church, the Manifesto of the Church, whatever you want. Article 1, Part 1, Paragraph 1. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's Jesus coming and speaking to his people. Some of them are pretty sure this must be the Messiah, the one who's going to deliver us from the Romans. And he sets them down and starts his teaching. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So I've got five points and not going to use the wall other than just a tiny bit right here at the beginning. I thought I'd go over them first. We as disciples come to Jesus. We as disciples hear Jesus. We as disciples live out his teachings. We as disciples and kingdom members have the spirit and spirit of Jesus. One's capitalized, the other's not. Maybe the same thing, but anyway. And last, we as disciples manifest the kingdom and power of God in or through sacrificial love. And it's that last point that we're really we'll spend our time on mostly. All right. So, Brother Jeff, you can disappear those now. They don't need to be up there if you've seen them. Okay, we know the Matthew Beatitudes appear at the beginning of Jesus' teaching. At least that's where Matthew places them. I want to look at Luke's, the first major teaching of Jesus in Luke, Luke chapter 6. I was a little surprised just looking through Luke that this was really the first place Jesus sat down and talked to people. Well, he did read there in the synagogue in chapter 4 and had just a little to say, but not a lot. People, the scholars can't figure out whether what Luke has here is supposed to be the Sermon on the Mount or not. Uh, my guess is it's not. I don't know here. I notice in 
verses 12 to 19 or so, he had just called his disciples, where in Matthew it didn't appear he had done that yet, but in verses 12 to 19 he calls his disciples and then he sits down and teaches them. And again, here's a teacher in Israel. Some of them are thinking he's the Messiah. He calls 12 to be with him, and, and this is not a strange thing. These disciples are to be with him and to know him and to learn from him and to understand him. And he sets them down and starts teaching. And listen to what he says and think about how that must have hit them and how it ought to hit us. Verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say unto you that here, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you, and pray for them that despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer the other offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? The sinners also love those that love them, if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. If you lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love you your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest. For he's kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And he spake a parable unto them, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall not they both, shall they, shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Or the margin reads, perfected as his master. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? 
Neither how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull the moat, let me pull out the moat that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the moat that is in thy brother's eye. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man that built a house, and dig deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. A little hard for me to imagine what the people were thinking when they heard that teaching. All right, five points. Those first three are pretty much introductory. We come to Jesus. That's number one. You notice over in verse 47, whosoever cometh to me, Jesus said, we as disciples come to the Lord Jesus. This is kind of like, duh, I know. But it's pretty basic. <laughs> it's dangerous to let life get duh about the little things. We must come to Jesus. There's nowhere else to go. Our discipleship is not from afar. It's not a list of rules that we keep or that we apply to our lives. It's a relationship. It's a walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, listening to Jesus, in communion to God throughout the day, always. Daily communing, walking and talking with him. We come to him. Secondly, we hear Jesus. We as disciples hear Jesus. And again, verse 47, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings. Look at verse 39 and 40. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple's not above his master. We listen to him individually, day by day. We listen to him together as a church. We need to be in his word. We need to be reading his words, pondering his words, attempting to understand them. Our Lord isn't done teaching us yet. And I don't care if you're as old as Ben Martin or not. He's not done teaching us. There are things I need to learn, you need to learn, and we learn them from him and from his word. He has plenty yet to say to us. We are not yet as our master, the way it says there in verse 40. We are not the leader he is. Number three, we as disciples live out his teachings. And again, there's that verse 47. 
whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them. Duh, we know all that. Verse 39 and 40 again. The disciple is not above his master. We follow him, we do his teachings. You go down to verse 44. Every tree is known by its fruit. Whether or not we are following the master, it'll be known where it's coming from. And not going to say much more about that right now, but consider this, just a question that I had. Do you think Jesus chafed at taking the low road, always being the servant, always having to say, I do always those things that please my father? Was that a burden to him? Or did he say that joyfully? He wasn't grumbling, we know that. All right, number four, we are to have the spirit and the spirit of Jesus. And so you look at these teachings of Jesus. Go back to verse 20 and start down through there. Where in the world did they come from? These, this is crazy. People don't live that way. Don't they? Did he? And you know, we know, <laughs> that's the first thing that people look at when a preacher preaches. Well, maybe it's not the first, but young people especially will notice, and maybe some older ones too. When he preaches a good New Testament message, they say, does he live it out or doesn't he? And you know what, if you don't, you know what they say? What Jesus taught matches the way he lived. It describes his spirit. Put a small s there if you want. His spirit in facing life, his demeanor, his, his, his responses, the way he reacted. And look at our master's words again there in verses 39 and 40. An unlearned disciple cannot lead others. Jesus says, I'll do the leading, you follow. And by the way, your goal is to be like me to have my spirit and to show my spirit. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Well, and the apostles got it too. Paul said you need to be rooted and grounded in love, drawing in those kinds of nutrients from the Lord Jesus and, and growing them out. We are to have the spirit and the Holy Spirit of Jesus. And I'm not sure we can separate those. And then fifthly, we manifest the kingdom and power of God in sacrificial love or through sacrificial love. You think about the Beatitudes. Think about earthly kingdoms. Think about earthly rulers. Think about politicians, earthly authority. 
politics, even earthly businesses. How do they operate? What do they need to do to succeed? And what do they mean by success, even? And then think about those Beatitudes. And think, how did the Lord Jesus manage to accomplish so much? How did he manage to effect salvation for us or anyone else? What were his, what were his methods? What was his mode of operation? You know, those earthly realms of power, those different earthly ways of climbing the ladder, they require ambition, confidence, initiative, boldness, ability to compromise, a little bit of a dog-eat-dog -dog mentality sometimes, a, a goal-oriented life, a willingness to enter into conflict, and you know, sometimes even cause it. But for all of those, you need to add the word self. Self-ambition, self-confidence, self-initiative, self-assertion, self-promotion, compromise when it forwards my goal. Self tends to minimize mercy, tends to fudge on pure motives, tends to create conflict. And maybe you didn't notice, but I was just kind of going down through the Beatitudes there and thinking about the opposites. That's the way the earth operates. That's the way the world operates. But there was Jesus introducing his kingdom, giving his principles of life for in the kingdom, and he turned it all on its head. My way of getting things done is exactly opposite of that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I accomplish things by self-denial, humility, mercy, hunger, submission, mourning, meekness, suffering, weakness, and love. And then he says, follow me. You do it the way I do it. And I want to read this familiar passage in Philippians starting at the end of chapter 1. Don't lose Luke because we're coming right back there. But I'm going to... Luke chapter, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your citizenship be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, didn't see it as something to be grasped and held on to, but emptied himself, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we know verses 9 and 10, wherefore God hath highly exalted him. Worthy is the Lamb. Because he rose up and made things great. <laughs> well, it's a good song. But let's don't forget how it's done. Let's don't forget how our warfare is done. It's not done in the way the world thinks of warfare. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We manifest the kingdom and power of God in sacrificial love. And you can go down through that passage and use those some more self-words. Self-denial. Self-abnegation, well, means about the same thing. Self-forgetfulness, motivated, powered by love. That's the way we're going to accomplish things in the kingdom of God. Let's think about Luke 6 a little, some of those verses that we read. When I uh, read these, well, verses 20, the 22 I find it a little troubling at times that I fit my life seems to fit better in verses 24 to 26 I'm not poor I'm not hungry I like to laugh too men don't speak evil of me usually too much we look at those things, poor, hungry, weeping, having others speak evil of us, and, and we tend to think that those things are things we, we don't have that much control over. And yet it's sort of odd when we look at others. It's sort of easy to think, well, the poor and the hungry should have been better managers. And those that weep, well, they're just reaping what they sowed probably. And, you know, there are places in the world that uh, men do hate Christians. And, well, anyway. Is it possible for me to live so that I fit better in verses 20 to 23? Should I even want to? And I will just remind us, these are the words of our master and Lord and teacher. And, yeah, sometimes we kind of redefine them. when We say, well, look at the Beatitudes in Matthew. You poor must mean poor in spirit. You that hunger must mean hunger and thirst after righteousness. You that weep must mean weeping at conversion time for one's past sins. And, and sure... Verses 22 and 23, it's true at least some places in the world yet today. And yet, Jesus so clearly gives us these two groups and contrasts them. I have a little trouble doing that, saying that this is just another version of the uh, blessings there in Matthew. Jesus, by both teaching and example, shows us that his kingdom is inhabited by humble, poor, Lowly, 
weeping people who are driven by an all-consuming motive of love. These are people that the world does not understand and therefore tends to find it easy to hate. They march to a different drummer, and that's not popular in our world to march to a different drummer. We manifest the kingdom and power of God in sacrificial love. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, the next few verses illustrate that too. Dealing with enemies. Love them. Do good to them. Bless them even if they curse you. Pray for them if they treat you nasty. One slaps you on the face. Let him take care of the other cheek too. says he's going to take your cloak, give him your coat too, or at least don't deny it from him. Someone asks you for something, give it to him, and don't ask back. He sums it up in verse 31, the way you want everyone else to treat you, you treat everyone else that way. And then the next few verses kind of just look back at those and, and Jesus contrasts the usual way of responding to those same, those same things. He says, this is how sinners do. I'm telling you to do it a different way. The way of self-denial, the way of self-renunciation, the way of self-sacrifice, the way of love, the way of the cross, the way of death to self. If you love them which love you, that's what sinners do. You do good to them that do good to you. That's what everybody does. You lend to those you plan to receive again from. That's life out there in the world. But you are to be different. You're to love your enemies. You're to do good. You're to live. You're not even to hope for it back. That's the way to be my children, he says. That's the way to be the children of God. That kind of a spirit, that kind of a reaction, that kind of life. So, verses 36, 37 or so, they kind of address our uh, tendency to criticize and to hold judge grudges, maybe. Jesus says, take the initiative, be merciful, love, show love by assuming the best, not the worst of that brother that did something a little odd, or whatever, whoever. Forgive, even as the offense is happening, even as the fellow slaps your face for no good reason, forgive, and let him do the other side too. And don't do it in an arrogant, smart aleck kind of way. Thought of the Apostle Paul, God shall smite you, you whited wall. And I wonder, is that the way he was supposed to respond or not? <laughs> but I don't know. Paul was an educated Pharisee. He knew the law well, and he knew this man who told him to be smitten knew the law well too. And I don't know what tone of voice he said it in. So I'm not saying he did wrong. I could imagine he sounded a little indignant. 
But you notice how the Lord Jesus responded when they slapped his face. It was no response. And I wonder if that maybe isn't wiser a lot of the time. Okay. Love. Love is the goal. That fellow who is so angry that he slaps you, you love him, right? You want him to be saved. You want him to repent. And so, in some ways, being poor in spirit isn't the goal. <laughs> love is the goal. Love your master so much that uh, you take his way. And yes, we'll be poor in spirit. Well, verse 38 addresses how we are to view giving, maybe how we are to avoid becoming rich. Give, give like Jesus, just give. And it's interesting how he says God will give, good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Sounds good, coming our way. But, I mean, the end of the verse says, for with the same measure you meet, it will be given to you. What's mine is yours. How can I help? Or maybe even better, I'm going to help without asking how I can help. Sometimes we do that too. The Lord Jesus didn't ask how he could help. He just did it. Verses 39 and 40. Again, we've looked at those along the way a little already. What? Will you insist on leading? Or will you follow? Will I insist on leading or will I follow? We have a master. And if I get in the way and take the lead, both me and who I'm trying to help will be in the ditch. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verses 41 42. Interesting that this comes in here. Who has the bigger problem here anyway? You? <laughs> with the beam or the fellow with the speck? And really, what is that beam in my eye anyway? I, I think we probably miss Jesus' point sometimes here. We say things like this, you know, if, if you need to go and help a brother take care of his speck, you better make sure you clean up your life first. Well, true, but I'm not sure that's Jesus' point. He doesn't say I might have a beam. He says I have one. And, and might the beam represent my certainty that I know what my brother's problem is and I need to get in there and help him fix it? Might it represent the fact that I'm more concerned about his spec than I am him? That something other than love is motivating the way I go about it. Think for a moment what happens when a, a brother with a beam goes to a brother with a spec. You know what happens. What are you talking to me for? You got a bigger problem than I do. I just have a speck. You have a beam. And probably by this time, both have a beam and both need to repent and go back and start over. Uh, 
Okay, but we're leaders, and sometimes a brother does have a speck, or maybe even a beam, and we need to try to help him. So we say, probably the factualness and the urgency of that statement can vary quite a bit in every situation. And I think of that verse in First John where John says, if you see a brother sin a sin, it's not unto death. Go remove the beam from his eye. Pray for him. And the Lord will give him life. So maybe not the first step is to go, but the first step is to pray for him and uh, see whether God's big enough to do something about it without your help. Yeah, you still need to probably eventually, may need to eventually, but I wonder. Well, anyway. So, yes, the factualness and the urgency of that statement that I need to go help him straighten it out can vary a good bit, even if we're a leader. One thing that does not vary, we must have the humble, lowly, self-sacrificing spirit of Jesus if we go. It's got to be motivated and powered by unfeigned love. And if it's not, we've got a beam. We have the beam. Not him. Us. And that's going to make a big difference in the way we go. And by the way, if you're sitting there and thinking, yep, 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 that, that, that man came to me like that one time. Well, you've got a beam too. Hold on here. <laughs> you can't do that. <clears throat> We're talking about ourselves and, and personal integrity and personal following the Lord Jesus. So, anyway, we manifest the kingdom and power of God through sacrificial love. And we build the kingdom of God the same way, primarily. We know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among us. Let us be servants, not lording it over, but coming along beside in love. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life in love for others. And when there's a problem that needs to be dealt with, that we as leaders need to deal with, we must be at least as concerned about our own spirit, our own way of, method of working as we are about the problem. At least, and probably more. In verses 43 to 46 kind of reinforce that. A good tree brings forth good fruit. And of something other than good fruits coming out, there's a problem out of me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? He's saying that to us too, by the way. So, well, what does this self-sacrificing love, unselfconscious love, look like in everyday situations? Well, and I decided that's too big a question. What does it look like in conference? We can narrow it down a little bit. And I have a number of things I'll just mention here. 
First, make sure that you are always living in submission to your, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to your Lord, your Master. Joyful submission, by the way. Make sure you are submitting to your authorities. We can't exercise authority in any way, shape, or form correctly if we are not submitting to our authorities. All of them. Make sure you're submitting to the Brotherhood's guidelines, our rules and discipline. There again, how in the world can we help someone else if we aren't showing forth good fruit? It all, it all comes back to submission, I guess. Blessed are the poor in spirit. <laughs> Make sure you're cultivating Jesus' mindset in yourself. that you have the mind to love, even if it costs, it will cost. It will cost. If you are a leader in the church of Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you to be like Jesus Christ and to do it his way. That's what sacrifice is about, giving up. Recognize your own brokenness. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. I can do nothing. We're broke on our own. Make sure we're trusting him. And I'm talking about now coming to conference that way. Live that way because, well, you've got to live that way first. Recognize that you are in the flesh. You can make mistakes. You have made mistakes. You will make mistakes again. Anybody doubt it? Raise your hand. Uh, <laughs> even... Here on the conference floor, you might make some. I've had to stand up in front of conference and apologize before. I don't mind if you don't remember, but I do. <clears throat> okay. Recognize that you are wrong in at least some points of what you think. You okay with that? You have no room to grow, right? Okay. <laughs> Recognize that most of the time your ideas are not the best ones in the discussion. We've got 60 men. Who are you to think you've got the best idea? Well, yours might be valuable. That's why we're here, <laughs> to share them and to learn from each other. When I say you, I can say me just as well, by the way. Recognize that every brother has something to offer and that it is more important to hear and to understand what he is saying than it is to get your reply ready. And maybe some of you saw this quote in the last few days. Same place I did, I'm not sure, but I'll give it to you. A quote from Stephen R. Covey. Covey, Covey, I don't know. Our biggest communication problem is that we do not listen to understand. We listen to reply. We are here as brothers. We love each other. We differ on our opinions and our ways of looking at things. We owe it to each other to listen, to understand. and to be ready to change 
That's what growth is. How many times have you come to conference thinking one thing and you left thinking something else or at least somewhat different than what you were thinking simply because you heard the input from other brothers and changed what you were thinking? If it never happened to you, well, get at it and grow. Okay. <laughs> it should. <clears throat> Determined not to let impure, self-promoting, or selfish motives sneak in, but realize that you are human and it's just quite likely that there can be some of that in there. And probably will be sometimes. Present your ideas and suggestions as ideas and suggestions, not as established fact or required actions as if I got it figured out this is the way it's got to be. Avoid digging around in your brother's eye and yanking on that beam. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> Avoid labeling each other. Labels make it way too easy to ignore a brother and to not learn from him. And keep your focus on the goal, building the church, glorifying Jesus Christ, doing it together, honoring him first in me. All of us together, yes, but first in me, and I'll just come back to what I said, it's more important that I am what I should be than a lot of other things we might think are important at the point, at that point. Follow Jesus. Now we're getting here to summing up. Follow Jesus. <laughs> be poor in spirit. Knowing him, following him will take you on the low road always the low road from a human viewpoint. It's the way of cross, the cross, the way of death, the way of denying self, the way of self-sacrifice. It's Jesus' way. It's the way of love. Take it joyfully. And again, I want to say we manifest the kingdom and power of God through sacrificial love. And we build the kingdom in the same way. All right, I have a quote I found from Thomas Edison. Brother Jeff, you got that? <laughs> Thought I would put it up. Saw it the other day, and it just because of this sermon, it struck me. This is what Thomas Edison said. Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try one more time. And he got a lot done in this world. But I revised it for us. Our greatest strength lies in giving in. The most certain way to succeed is to always submit my will to his one more time. We manifest the kingdom and power of God to the world, to each other, through love, through self-sacrificial love.